Hey everybody, and welcome to the Train Like a Trooper podcast. We have a very special podcast for you today. We are being joined by Lieutenant Brad Dansby, and um, that is actually kind of a new title for you. You were just recently promoted in late December to Lieutenant. Congratulations. Thank you. And you are part of our traffic homicide unit, so one of our lieutenants in the traffic homicide unit. So obviously we know Lieutenant Dansby, great trooper, does great work for us. That's totally not why we wanted to have you on the podcast today. Right. Nope. That's kind of boring <laughs> stuff. You all right? Lieutenant Dansby has a, I'm not going to say hidden talent because you, I mean, you, you advertise it out there, but you are a singer, a great singer. Well, thanks for the great. Adjective. That was very, very nice. How uh, yes. long have you been singing? Probably longer than you've been a trooper. Yes, yes, by, by a little measure. I, I didn't sing until I was going to college. I was literally a high school senior, sang a little at church, then it evolved as many stories to something else when I went to college. And um, yeah, it was weird. People started paying me to sing, and I was like, wow, it's crazy. So prior to becoming a trooper, when I had to fill out my application to apply, I was self-employed <laughs> with my own company. So. That's awesome. So, and you do, you have a connection to a very famous singer that a lot of people will know the name, uh, Elvis Presley. Well, people kind of made a thing about that. Uh, we're not closely related. I, I never, never, never want to mislead anybody. I don't even know how distant related we are, but because my mom's maiden name was Presley, and then I sang country music, gospel music, wrote songs, and they would say, ooh, you kind of sound like fill in the blank. And then when you look at the back of the albums that I produced, my booking manager was Patricia Presley, also known as my mom, and people were like, oh, wow. And the connection was actually drawn that way. I never actually, never will you find me saying anything of me saying we're related. It's very far off, very far off. But you've never delved into it and tried no. to get into the family tree, and no, I don't really know. I don't even do one of those DNA deals to find out what I am. I'm kind of a mixture of ethnicities, I believe. I do, I do think you sound like him, though, for sure. There's definitely a similarity there. I, I take that as a compliment. And- <laughs> <laughs> for sure. People think highly of him and and so do I. So that's that's not a bad thing. Well, and you and you use your talents um in the duties of your job insofar as you've sung at awards ceremonies for DPS, like you've kind of incorporated it into your OHP job somewhat. Yes. Um you, you can't get hired onto an agency like the Highway Patrol and they not know your background. So yeah, there were those times where I was in a uh uh, a push-up position and and singing sometimes. So I'm not <laughs> going to say that that didn't happen. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with with saying that, but it's true. So when we had our graduation, you know, our final graduation, I was uh, asked to sing our, our national anthem, which led to, hey, can you sing next Academy's graduation? And then the next, and we've skipped a few, but then many times on many occasions, my duty assignment for the day, if you will, was to travel across Oklahoma and be part of some program. Kind of interesting. How many albums do you have? <sighs> I want to say three. I never really released the last one so much. Uh, it was more of a filler that I was in Nashville a little bit. And I never really lived in Nashville. I would just stay in Nashville, which probably didn't help me much. 
Yeah, I come from a small area of southeast Oklahoma, so I, I pretty much hubbed out of there. Um, until this day, you can call my landline, and it still says Nickel and Dime you know, Publishing. So uh, very, very small, small company. But good times. Yeah, I, I co-wrote some songs. I have two older brothers. They both somewhere, when I started singing, showed up and said, hey, they wrote some songs. And so kind of interesting. So yeah, on some independent charts way back when, um, I had a, a few little rankings, you know, on some overseas charts and some uh, Northeast America, some independent radio chart. Did you ever think about making that your career? Did you want to try that for a while? Or how do you make that leap from singing to law enforcement? Man, I can't say it's one thing. It's just a series of, uh, of life choices. So uh, go back to 1996-ish, just a few years ago. Um, I start singing and somebody on it takes it up on a dare pretty much to say, hey, why don't you sing on the local talent show? Um, it, so in southeast Oklahoma, there's a, a nice lake a lot of people go to uh, called Broken Bow Lake, a little community there called Hochatown. Well, they do a festival of the forest there called Owachita and they had this talent show. Uh, so I sang a song by Carmen um, entitled uh, America Again. And. Well, what I won the little trophy for that, and one thing led to another. So the guy that was sitting on a judge, if you will, said, hey, we had this conversation, similar as we are now, about aspirations. And I said, oh, I just, first first time I've ever sang outside of church. He said, wow. And then I was going to Durant, uh, Southeastern Oklahoma State University, uh, in my mind, to play basketball because I was made the team as a red shirt, which that means you're a practice Okay, let me just insert right here real quick. How tall are you? Um, six foot six. Six foot six. Okay, so quite tall enough to play basketball. Right. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm tall enough to be to be a forward or a guard. <laughs> so, yeah, I can at least set the bench and give a, a good practice warm-up to the main guys. I'm going to college, Southeastern Oklahoma State University, I think, to play basketball. And life changed events. I was advised, hey, if you're going to Southeastern, why don't you talk to the lady in the music department? So I had a very encouraging mother and made that call. And so when we were in Durant, we stopped by and we met her and she wanted me to sing, well, sing something for me, which was awkward because such as you and I standing here and you say, just sing a song. Okay, so I'm getting not, ready to ask you to do that's that. That's not always <laughs> easy to do. <laughs> not a, not easy, you know, uh, like singing for your family. It's not always easy. But, uh, yeah, so literally on the di on a, that conversation, I ended up with a music scholarship at Southeastern, which wasn't huge, but it was it bought some books, and it, it got me into singing and in a show choir that um, didn't know what that was either at the time. So I actually had uh, some choreography and would dance so we would sing and we dance. need to see some of those videos yeah <laughs> it would definitely probably make a blooper reel uh i was uh the same height but not quite as filled out in those days so i was quite slim and uh yeah it's good times but that that's what led so i was in there a year the next year everything always builds upon itself and started getting asked to sing private parties and such and man it was crazy Real crazy. So next thing you know, I record some songs and one thing led to another. But uh, I guess I'd be amiss if I didn't include why I ever recorded. My cousin was in a car wreck. So Shan Presley, 
she has this car wreck, and she lives down in the Duran, Oklahoma area. And they had went Christmas shopping. So this is right around that 97-ish, going into 1998 time frame. And I'd been singing, and she had been, we were going to, going to school together. She ended up in a coma for a couple of weeks. And, well, it, it, when you're in a coma, they encourage you, I'm sure today, just like they would then, you still interact with, you know, your loved ones while they're um, non-responsive. And in this case, it was, uh, I can't say I thought of it on my own or my mom thought of it first. I don't know. But we originally made that recording um, just as a, some background noise of a familiar voice. We were pretty close growing up. And that was the reason why. And once again, I went back to my now um, longtime friend, Billy, uh, and we recorded at his house. He had this he, he had his own band at the time, Denim and Lace, him and his wife. And he was, uh, yeah, literally recorded in his living room, something like that, these songs, right, with canned music. And so when they're playing it at the hospital, nurses come in, people would say stuff, you know, and it would lead to a conversation with the other family members. And so, yeah, it was kind of weird. It was just sort of, I didn't know I could do that. So it evolved into that. So a tragedy turned into something life-changing, yeah. not just in a bad way, but in a good way. That's neat. So then how, so then where's the leap to law enforcement in there? Well, I've always, I've always been a, a fan of, uh, I don't want to say Westerns, but, you know, watching the Western channel, you know, superheroes, if you will, guys that the battle of good and evil that never, never really finishes. It's, it's an everyday battle of good and evil. And I recognized it early in life and I would, I don't want to ever want to be the bad guy. I like I like being on the good guy team for obvious reasons. You know, that's that's what keeps everybody safe and allows them to go about a normal life and and not and truly live not knowing that bad people exist because they live in such a good, safe bubble uh, of safety in their little communities. When I was 21 in Oklahoma, we have uh, such a thing, you know, as where you can volunteer to be a police officer, and they call them reserve police officers. And so I've got on in Durant Police Department as a police reserve. And that just was my method of community service, right? So once a week, I would ride around, and there's some certification you need to do to, to you know, the Council on Law Enforcement Education and Training has a reserve police officer certification, basic level. So I did that. Um, and I, I stayed in law enforcement as a volunteer um, through the years of my self-employment days, if you will. Um, probably, mm, I've got an, two older brothers, and I, I don't want to divulge too much about their information for safety reasons. If for you know, not everybody's a friend in this line of work. But he he works with the Oklahoma State Bureau Investigation. Oldest brother. And so I was uh, tied to it probably through him the most. Uh, my other brother is a medical doctor in Oklahoma, in the Muskogee area. So well-rounded conversations we would have about life. You know, I'm the youngest, so obviously I have the benefit of seeing life through their eyes. And one thing leads to another, and I'll, I just sort of had it in the back of my head. If music doesn't work out to where I provide for my family well, you know, and continue things going— I'm not saying it didn't. It just sort of evolved a life. And once again, a series of life events happened. There's openings for the highway patrol down in southeast Oklahoma where I was from, and I ended up applying. My music job, I hate to use the word career because 
It's pretty short-lived in the grand scheme of people that do well at music. But I, I was actually singing in Branson in 2002 uh, at a little restaurant that I don't even think exists anymore. And I would sing for tips two hours a day during their lunchtime. And I didn't, I didn't have a stage fee. They didn't charge me anything. I, uh, but I got to eat for free. So it was a pretty good deal. So win, lose, or draw, I was not going to be hungry. Uh, that was pretty good. But, you know, you think about 7 million people coming through Branson, Missouri back in 2002. You know, if every one of them tipped me a dollar, I would be all right. Yeah. I mean, it's just doing some simple redneck math, you know. And uh, I did not see 7 million people, so it didn't work out like I thought. But I did uh, I did see a lot of people. And so while I'm there, you know, you're, you're singing, people come in and eat, they come and go. It's uh, uh, They would buy albums, you know, in my case, CDs, you know, so I had two different CDs at that time. Well, three, was, uh, the first one I had was Missing You, and then I followed up with a Blue Eyes for Always was a country uh, album mix, and then I did a Crying in the Chapel, a gospel album that was, uh, interestingly enough, the country album had like 15 songs on it, and four of those songs were on the gospel album, because not everybody you know, somebody may only want to buy gospel music. And so I, I've, I released an album of traditional, you know, in the garden, crying in the chapel, you know, my, my rendition of those, if you will. And along with that, some new songs uh, called Grandma's and Grandpa's, uh, Grandma's Bible, and um, a song that I wrote called Be Free. And, it, you know, people would buy them. And I would just plug along. I, I had, a, I had a, a, a baseline number in my head if I could make, X amount of dollars, I'd live like everybody else. And that's how I lived. You know, everything else I'd put back in savings and kind of have a buffer. So I did that right up until 2005. Might have been in the 2004, 2005-ish. I actually took a job at the Idabel Police Department full-time. That's a local town near, near where I live. And that is when I applied for the Highway Patrol. I knew it was, hey, I'm just going to take this career path, but let it fall where it is. So that was one series of events and then so in a mix that you say why didn't i stay in branson missouri or why didn't i go that's a question i'd get a lot hey why ain't you living over here the business i ran was was co-operated and owned by my parents you know jerry and ann dansby which like i disclosed my manager was patricia presley though because when you run a small business it doesn't sound as cool when your mom calls somebody and says hey he can come sing. This is Brad Dansby. Let me tell you about him. And my name's Ann Dansby. You know, of course he sounds good, Mom. Of course he does. You know? So it was just an epiphany I had. I, I, I can I can truly say I never thought Mom's maiden name and the connection, you know, to Elvis that, that never even entered my mind. Literally until a year later, when people are looking at the back of the album saying. Patricia Presley, are you related to Elvis? And it was, they're asking me, and I'm like, well, I mean, everybody's related to somebody, right? I mean, you know, and so, I've, so like my my mom's dad and somewhere and maybe Elvis's dad, they would have probably been multiple cousins apart. So, I mean, I'm not even from the same branch. So I, I never want to mislead and say we're closely related. But because of the music angle, it was always an interesting twist. It didn't matter. Nobody cared. No. They just said, hey, let's... That's awesome. You know, so anyway, it is what it is. Very cool. So you got you got into the highway patrol. Um, did you were you a road trooper down in the southeastern part of the state for a while? 
It was. The, the, the most southeast county you can go in Oklahoma is McCurtain County. And I signed a contract, worked the road in McCurtain County just as a regular road trooper, you know, uh, saving the world one car stop at a time. And how'd you get into traffic homicide? I ask myself that all the time. I don't know. Uh, it, <laughs> it was just a series of, uh, of events in life. Once again, I've always, uh, if somebody needs help, I'm going to help you. If you ask for help, I, I don't, I'm not going to say no, I'm on a day off or no. So the highway patrol in those days, our investigation division is troop Z. For those that aren't in the highway patrol world, we're actually geographically broke up into alphabet troops. So, you know, Troop E is Durant, uh, Troop A, Oklahoma City. Anyway, so we go through the alphabet. Everybody has a letter. Well, Troop Z uh, it would be our investigation division. And in those days, Troop Z did chargeable traffic deaths, uh, internal affairs. Uh, they followed up on confidential VIN information. They did a whole bunch of all investigations kind of come from that hub. Um, so that's when I first got on, that's the way the highway patrol was operating at the time. Rock on about to 2009, because I live so far away, I have a brother that's in investigations for the state, obviously. I, I have somebody I can call and ask life advice to. It evolved into, you know, the cases I turned in were pretty detailed. And some hit and run type cases where somebody died, Troop Z come down to do their thing. And the guys that were working with Troop Z, hey, we don't have anybody this far over east. So pretty early in my career, I got into, at the time, was a position of part-time with Troop Z. So I began on the call-out list, if you will, for Troop Z for manhunts, um, chargeable, you know, vehicle crashes, um, use of force type stuff. You know, we get involved in shootings and things of that nature. And I want, and I had a loose track of time. It might have been around 2009-ish depending going into 2010-ish. And I was there with them as part-time till 2011-ish, give or take, uh, somewhere in there. Not sure of the months, but the Highway Patrol changed their operation in that traffic homicide investigations went back to the field troops to do what we call crash teams. And apparently before I'd gone on, we had operated in a similar fashion where each troop had a crash team. So your road troopers would go from being a road trooper today to, hey, we, now we've got a fatality. We need you over here working and help. You know, this one appears chargeable. And I use the phrase chargeable in that somebody calls the death of another person and that person is alive. So there's a whole, you know, the district attorney needs to be involved in it. And if they're willing to pursue Hey, the elements of the crime are met, and they're going to file charges on somebody for causing the death of another. Uh, that become more at the troop level. And so I, because I'd already been on Z, maybe, I knew how to run a Nikon total station. We end up calling me a lot. I say we, meaning the highway patrol. And so for a series of a few more years, I was kind of the guy. We didn't really have a crash team. We had, hey, y'all call Brad. You know, and so I. You're getting calls all all times of day, all times of night. Mostly for chargeable stuff, you know, and and in those days it was um, the troopers responsible for everything. So, um, we I'm just helping. Call me Mister Helpy Helperton, right? And I would run the total station, help them out on anything we needed, maybe write a search warrant, do some interviews, just just extra legs, if you will. Um, 
extra eyes on the on the case, right? That evolved into something that I that was unheard of to being a full time investigator assigned to True B in about two thousand thirteen, going into two thousand fourteen. And at that point, I would nobody really knew what that was. So I was also an evidence custodian. I was also you know. PIO for Troopy if they needed to talk to the news. I was also <laughs> anything that come down the pike that needed extra attention. I got to do that. Troopy decides the captain at the time and the major at the time said, hey, we want investigators in our troops to follow up on things that take a lot of time away from troopers stopping cars. Uh, because every car stop turns into a major case if you get, get into criminal activity that requires charges um, it's not as simple as writing a ticket, writing a warning. So that evolved into a, I was, you know, Edward 428 investigator, right? Troop E and badge number. Uh, that lasted then for a few more years, three years or so. And then all of the troop investigators, if you will, we still work together. But our chain of command would go through the local troop, so a local troop lieutenant, local troop captain. And so then we changed again to our chain, let's streamline chain of command instead of saying, I need to, because this captain, he may do something one way, another captain may do something another way. I'm not saying one's right or wrong, but let's do it the highway patrol way and let's do it from Oklahoma City down. And so we became the traffic homicide unit, identified separate investigation division as opposed to when we were Troop Z. And then we, we've, man, we just recently, so at that time for two years, they designate us as to be a, an alphabet letter of V for Victor. And just literally this year, Troop V is not a troop in the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. Uh, so that's kind of a catch-all. Everybody that has assignments non-field troop related is assigned a Victor unit number uh, or letter. So, yeah, we just officially became our own troop, Troop U. So now when somebody keys up the microphone and they're talking on the radio, they're going to be a union in their badge number. So some of that may be obviously not as interesting to uh, somebody listening, but that's that's the truth. I mean, it's not always as cut and dry as it may seem. So I can't tell you, I travel uh, mostly the eastern half of the state, and they'll see me in my pickup, and they'll say, oh, i never seen a vehicle like that for the highway patrol. and and then typically they'll say something, well, did you write any tickets today? And and that's not my assignment. You know, I'm working murder case, manslaughter case, negligent homicide case. And, uh, you know, I, I follow through with the victims and their families throughout the case. Um, and so I'll sit down with the, the victim's family. We'll go through the case before we ever get to court so they don't get thrown off guard by pictures of the scene, you know, and things of that nature. So we want to Make sure they're prepared uh, emotionally, mentally. And um, so, yeah, that's where we've evolved to. So now we're our own troop. And then as of November the 15th, I promoted to supervisor, lieutenant, changed my badge number uh, with that to 124. And now I'm lieutenant in traffic homicide. Very cool. So that's the evolution of investigations of the highway patrol in the past 15 years. Thanks for the history lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak before then. <laughs> so traffic homicide, basically, so if there is a traffic collision, a crash, and somebody dies, and there's a chance that 
somebody else was at, at fault for it, potentially. They could be charged criminally. That's when you guys get involved. That's when we'll take the lead on the case. Yes. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're actually involved on a local level on all the traffic deaths because the state of Oklahoma cannot afford to purchase a lot of cool tools to download cars. So cars that have airbags, there's obviously some mechanism that causes that airbag to go off. It's going to be software-based, you know, airbag box. Some people like to call them the black box, thinking like an airplane. doesn't work like that, but for simplicity, a lot of people understand it like that. So I can, um, we have licenses to through a company called Bosch that allows us to plug into cars and obtain that pre-crash data that caused that airbag to deploy. So comparing that data with the actual scene evidence that we see in documents such as skid marks before the crash, during the crash, as they're together, and then as they separate, they, they make you know marks on the road. Uh, we can uh, use that in the investigation. So it's real important when you have eight seconds of pre-crash data for braking, for instance, and they never hit their brake before their bag deploys. And you can check their revolutions per minute, their RPMs, and say, ooh, they were, they're way up there. You're hitting 4,000 RPMs. That's, that's like passing, right? That's when you're revved up, redlining, as some people say, that 5,000 RPM. So typically, depending on what gear you're in, so you can run highway speed, 65, 70 miles an hour, and run about 2,500 RPM, or actually under 2,000 RPMs. So that stuff's telling. So if you if I have a case, just for example, and you say, hey, sheriff so-and-so, all right, we have this, this intentional act where this guy tries to run over this other guy, and he used a car. But he also hit, an, you know, when he hit, it doesn't have to deploy the airbags or something called non, non-deployment events that'll be stored. Well, how, how cool is it to help prove the element of intent by showing the accelerator position in this crash data report, retrieval report? You know, when he goes to 100% position, loca- you know, if that's, he's pushing it to the floor. So it, it doesn't even always have to be a death. These tools, we have a limited number that we can use, and thanks to the Highway Safety Office, grant money, and other things, we wouldn't have this. This isn't the Highway Patrol's daily budget that we're working out of, Uh, and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, I think they should know that because every year we have to cut our budget back, and we talk furloughs, and we talk this and that other, but yet they still want us to do stuff that we do, and it just wouldn't happen without grant money. You guys use a lot of technology. A lot of technology in your troop. Yeah, and and that's one facet. Uh, so obviously, uh, I, I made a reference in the conversation to running a total station. So think about what a surveyor does, and they they do a scale of property lines, or you know, you see ODOT out there, Oklahoma Department of Transportation, maybe on the side of the road as people are driving around, and they see them with the you know, some kind of tripod and some little computer and they're out there holding the pole and, you know, they're, they're, they're documenting, you know, maybe some GPS locations in their case. In our case, we're collecting data uh, like a point, a specific point. So we'll, we'll do a relative to scale. So we know where our original or tripod sitting. Well, we know, hey, that tree's not going anywhere. We can use a reference point. That power pole, if they replace it, they're going to put it right there beside it again. But literally, and then map the points where the vehicles are at rest, the area of impact, maybe some pre-crash skid, the width of the road. Uh, if a body's ejected, where did that body land? 
So that kind of stuff is real important when you get an accident reconstruction to be able to tell the story as correctly as possible. Factual numbers. How far did they, you know, well, that's important because people use that to determine speed and stuff like that. Uh, in the days before airbag boxes, if you will, event data recorders, such as airbag uh, control modules and uh, Ford has power control modules in the early days. And then, of course, your semi-trucks have engine control modules in them. That's all one facet. And then so we've evolved a little bit with technology. Everybody thinks drones are cool. And so one of the coolest things that probably kids in elementary school think we do is we, um, we had to get our, our pilot license, our Part 107, to fly, you know, unmanned aircraft. So therefore, yeah, that's how... There's programs out there for, for that also, right? So we'll get up and we'll fly the scene in a grid pattern. We particularly use the one program called PIX4D uh, currently, and it'll uh, mapper and it'll stitch those pictures together and provide you with this huge, massive, scaled photo of the scene that you can measure from, that you could do 3D images with, that you could do, it's pretty cool. But yeah, technology is pretty neat. I got to say, that's probably the coolest thing that we do on the highway patrol technology-wise is when people look, they're like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, in theory, you could take fly around the car, right? This is this is a dream. I haven't got to do this yet. This is, this is on my to-do list using the new theory. Fly around the car with a damage profile and take it to ODOT and let them use their 3D printer. And let print a damn print an actual little matchbox size car scaled of the crashed car. I think that would be cool. That's, that's next, next next level, maybe. That's the next technology step. we have. Wow, we haven't done it yet, yeah. but we I think we can. But that's the stuff we're always learning, always learning. Yeah. So that brings me. So this obviously this podcast is called Train Like a Trooper. So so tell us how you keep your mind sharp. How I mean, training obviously has to be a, a huge part of your career in traffic homicide. I would imagine. Never stop learning. That's how you train. You never stop learning. So for me, I uh, obviously I train physically. I would like to say I eat perfect. I do not, but I try. I try. I try to at least Who train does? to the point that I can eat what I want. Uh, so yeah, uh, without a doubt. But I also have to train. Okay, it's like puzzles, right? All these wrecks are like one massive puzzle that I can't. There's no. I can't just tell you. Here's a checklist. Go to this crash scene you know, solve, solve for the elements of the crime, find it out. Literally every crash is different, you know, the, and just for simplicity, this is what I tell kids. So I, when I say kids, we have to go, I talk to kids a lot at school. Some of them are, you know, but just this week I was, uh, me and another trooper, Josh Christian was part of the unit. We were talking to, uh, uh, a pre-engineering class at the Ida Bell Botech. Okay. So in that deal, they're wanting to see what they're learning in engineering Yes, pre-engineering. So they're they're junior, seniors, high school, and how we apply that to you know crashes and highway patrol. Interestingly enough, their attention they were interested. For the class took like two and a half hours, and we stayed up there and taught the whole time. So it was it was it was kind of cool. It seems to me like you really get a lot of satisfaction out of um, seeing these cases from beginning to end, and working with victims' families and trying to get them. I don't know if the right word is justice, closure, trying to do that for families. It seems like you really enjoy that aspect of, of your job. It sort of fell in my lap. I, I, it is very rewarding when all the pieces come together and somebody either pleads guilty or goes the distance and the family does have that sense of closure that they, they, they tell me about. That's good, that we can help. I don't, you know, we always use the phrase justice. 
you know, the sad part for the victim's family because they're irreplaceable. I don't know that justice is ever truly a filler for that void, but that is the word we, we kind of shoot for and we talk about. But I would like to use the word accountable. I think for sure, traffic, Oklahoma Highway Patrol Traffic Homicide Unit, by doing detailed traffic death investigations, can hold people accountable, at least present the case of accountability to a local district attorney and the choice to file not to fall does rest on their shoulders but that's based upon the facts that we presented them you know that we can gather and and, and our our cases are fact based not opinion based so we go out and we we canvas for video if you're at a bar drinking a bunch you know we want to we will we'll get the video you know we'll count how many drinks you drink that kind of stuff it's uh it's not all cool digital stuff right but it's it's the totality of facts that we can that we can present and if they're available to present, we try to find them. So yeah, it's uh, it, it it's draining for the family, but I, I can truly relate to the point of I've been on both sides of a death notification. So I've I've been there when when I was told my parents died, you know, in my early twenties, and so it was like that that moment of what that surreal feeling feels like when you totally catch you off guard, as opposed to being the guy knocking on the door, and there's no easy way to say it. They haven't heard. This is the first time, but they know you're at their house at the, in the middle of the night. That ain't good. And so they they literally pause with anticipation. They know it's going to be bad, but until the words come out, they listen, are you so-and-so and are you related to so-and-so? And they know it's bad, but until you say it, then it's real. And so people react differently. To be able to hold somebody accountable that took that from them you know that's that's pretty cool i can see just how much it means to you because you're getting emotional just talking about it that that's, it means a lot to yeah. you and that's good for people to hear this affects you guys too it's it's actually difficult you know to console somebody that you don't know total stranger and i have tons of memories flow through my mind right now i've lost track of the number of death notifications yeah what what people can't see right now is L lieutenant dansby actually has a, a tear coming out of his eye. This is, I mean, I think this is great for people to see that you troopers are, are real people in this, you know, this, we're not, you're not just out there writing tickets and trying to put people in jail. This is, you know, this is real life stuff. And we appreciate your service and everything that you do for the highway patrol. Now it's time for our question of the day, brought to you by the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. Trooper Foster, a lot of times people will call in and say they saw a trooper or a police officer driving way above the speed limit and they didn't have their lights and sirens on. Is there a reason for that? There is a reason. There may be a situation um, where turning on our lights and sirens may not be the best option to get to that call. And so uh, there are many different situations where we don't have to. Uh, state law doesn't uh, say that we have to when we're responding to an emergency call or to a call where someone may need help. So there are many reasons. It's hard to nail it down to one reason, but uh, it is lawful in most situations. And as long as it's done in a safe and prudent manner, you know, regardless of speed, but just in a safe manner, then it is legal. Thanks, Trooper Foster. And now back to the podcast. And I know everybody at the beginning, when we were talking about your singing, they're like, okay, well, let's hear him sing. We want to hear 
we want to hear Lieutenant Dansby sing. You know, growing up when I was, I told you they, I can vividly remember the first time my mom was like, hey, you know, sing for grandma. And then every time some of my grandma, bless her heart, she's one of my biggest fans still to this day. She makes sure to tell everybody that I, that she's my grandma, love her to death. And she, she'll do that. She'll say, hey, just go sing, sing something for them. You know, I don't care if you're in the middle of a restaurant, you know, <laughs> and I always found that to be awkward. And uh, I don't have the background of people, but yeah, it's, it's not easy just to bust out a song. I think a song like God Bless America is always fitting uh, for a country such as ours. God bless America. Land that I love Stand beside her And guide her Through the night With light from above From the mountain To the prairie To the ocean Wide with foam, God bless America, my home sweet home. God bless America, my home sweet. Oh.